Stories move hearts and hearts move impact. Slingshot Stories. 10 to 15 minute episodes built around what we believe to be really practical key areas of impact that are going to help you grow in your understanding of what impact is and how you can accomplish it. Everybody's on planet Earth for a reason. Find your sweet spot, get off the bench, and get in the game. Welcome to this episode of Slingshot Stories. I'm your host, Ed Gillentine, alongside my colleague, Jared Barnett. As usual, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the next 15 minutes. Um, And today, we're going to be talking about effective alternatives to the juvenile legal system. And Jared, you guys have been doing a lot of work just trying to quantify some of these programs, particularly uh, programs like GIF here in Memphis. So let's dive right in, and maybe let's just start with why in the world is this an important topic, at least important enough to make an episode, right? Yeah, so I think it's important because of two reasons. One, there's a community impact here, and two, there's an impact on the individual, right? So as a youth, entering the juvenile legal system is a transformative uh, experience in a negative way. It, and it completely changes the trajectory of the life of these these youth. It stigmatizes them. It limits their opportunities, right? It, you know, think about this. It pulls them out of the school environment, right? It puts them behind bars, right? In that way, you're in an environment that historically is not very conducive to growth and opportunity. And therefore, even if they leave the legal system, the juvenile legal system as a youth, they've now gone through this phase they have to kind of recover from. And it just is so hard in the data to actually see that recovery happen once they enter the system. And let alone what happens when they become adults, which often leads to additional uh, offenses as an adult, which has even greater um, consequences. It's almost like everything sort of we know anecdotally, like surround yourself with good people, good friends, make wise choices, get an education, all that stuff is sort of flipped on its head, and those become really big negatives. And it's it seems very difficult. We talk about pathways out of poverty. It seems like the pathway out of this, once you're in the juvenile legal system, is very difficult to get out of. Yeah, the data is not very friendly to yeah. good outcomes once you've entered the legal system. It's some of the uh, some of the coldest data. Like literally, you see it, and it's it's stunning. It is because you know it affects life. Um, talk about this concept of of a diversion program. So, a diversion program is kind of an umbrella kind of uh, term, and basically, it means something that is in place of the juvenile legal system. So, it allows youth to stay out of the legal system while still providing accountability. Um, and the right level of kind of programming and supervision and support for them to be successful. And so what it does is it acknowledges that this youth has gone down a path that is not favorable, right? You know, made choices that have would, could lead to the legal system, but says, hey, let's do something to try and help this youth um, in a restorative way versus which often happens when you involve the legal system. It, it's much more of a, let's just put you away and forget about you. Yeah, when I think about, when I, when I think about the juvenile system and just the criminal justice system in general, um, there's so many, I guess, uh, tentacles to it. Um, but you think about uh, poverty and how uh, growing up in poverty increases your likelihood of doing that. And, you know, it's kind of easy for me to sit in my ivory tower and say, well, I'd never do that. I think about that a lot with our experiences in Ethiopia. I'd never do that. But I've never been starving, and I've never been watched. I've never watched my three children go hungry either. Um, so, 
It, it, there's so many things connected, but um, but when you talk about these diversion programs, I hear a lot of people say, "Well, they they did the crime, they got to do the time, or whatever it is." And and I mean, they're typically not that harsh when you're talking about a, a young man or woman, mm-hmm. but it's the same concept, yeah. right? And uh, oftentimes it does feel to me to be a little bit harsh. Yeah, you need to learn a lesson, but um, how many kids are making poor decisions because they got in the wrong group or, or I mean, gosh, I remember some of the stupid things I did as a 14, 15, 16 year old. Um, I was just fortunate, right? Yeah. Um, so I, a lot of those tentacles I know you guys have been looking at and wrestling with. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's good research that shows that the environment you're in influences behavior more than your personality or your morals even, right? Because you're surrounded by certain situations uh, and that has a huge influence. And so I think particularly when you're dealing with poverty, right, the opportunity cost is a very different um, game than when you're right. you know, in a middle-income family or in an affluent family, right? The trade-offs of something that's criminal versus not, there's a lot you're going to lose, right? But when your alternative is, I see everyone I know either not working or working at you know, these dead-end jobs that don't have a career trajectory, such as you know, some entry-level roles in food services or you know, at hotels or things that just don't really provide a pathway to a living wage, you're in a spot where it's like, well, what, what else am I going to do, right? And so I think part of the, the thing that we do as a society is we sometimes fail them by being able to create these pathways for people to have something better. But I also think it's not fair to your point that if they do make a poor choice at some time, especially as a youth, that we say, hey, that's it, you're done. Instead of thinking about what can we do to help that individual have an opportunity to make a mistake, and get on a pathway that does lead to something that's better than what the juvenile legal system or any legal system right, would, would lead you to. It kind of reminds me of the old debtor's prison, um, which really until recently we had those in the United States. Um, but you think, uh, I typically think of Europe and, and early United States, the idea that somebody owes money, so you're going to put them in prison. Like what's the likelihood of you ever getting your money back, right? So when you take a young person and you put them in a uh, criminal justice system that doesn't allow them to learn. And, and I know like there's a lot smarter people talking about this than me. Um, but there's, there's gotta be, you, you gotta, you, you gotta pay for the wrong. I get that concept, but there's also this, we, we want to uh, help people learn from it, get out of it and go on to be a productive citizen. And if you talk pure economics, we do not have an inexpensive criminal justice system. You know, it's a, it would get fired pretty quickly, um, I suspect. Um, talk about uh, a couple of the programs that you've seen in Memphis and where y'all got some of this data and how they're effectively being able to do this. Yeah, so I think one that we've worked with a lot here is, is GIF. Uh, and so they focus predominantly on, on youth who have some engagement with the legal system. And, and Reviewing some of the research around these programs, it was pretty stark to see what happens when you're able to help a youth avoid the legal system and and enter one of these diversion programs. And so one of the things we saw, there's after a study that tracked this for 10 years, right, stated that the youth who participated in a diversion program versus the legal system had half as many future convictions after 10 years and experienced 50% greater employment rates than those who otherwise went into the legal system. Pretty so remarkable. On both aspects of you know preventing behavior that would be, as a community, what we wouldn't want to see, but also creating an opportunity and a pathway to employment, which helps alleviate 
you know, and reduce the probability of, of crime happening. This helps on both sides of that, uh, that scenario. And GIF is a good example of that. So of all the organizations that we've studied, GIF has one of the highest benefit cost ratios um, that we've seen. And what that means is that the benefits that they create for the youth they serve far exceeds the cost uh, of providing those services. And so, in, in fact, for our most recent impact study for GIF, it was over $4.50, so 4.5 times return on investment uh, when it comes to poverty fighting benefits that we saw with GIF compared to other organizations. And I think the reason for that is not necessarily that GIF is the greatest thing that's ever existed. They're, they are good and they're doing wonderful things, but how they're working with these youth and what they're offering at this critical inflection point is massive. Because again, the alternative, if GIF is not working with these youth, is going to the legal system, and the gap between those two outcomes is massive. I'm guessing, too, the deeper you get in the legal system, sort of the, it widens, right? And if you catch them earlier and try to get them, it's painful, mm-hmm. no doubt, but uh, certainly a lot closer and a lot less painful. Um the the cost benefit ratio there is amazing that you mentioned four and a half and I I've looked at a lot of your studies I I really can't remember one that high I, they're probably there um, that's remarkable it's, what, it's an outlier in a favorable way is it and w- was it a bunch of things they were doing right or could you say looking deep into the research that it was it was these two or three things that really made a difference to, uh, to, to that number. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things that, that stand out. So one, they've chosen programming that's effective. <laughs> so yep. they could be doing this and just kind of saying, hey, let's try this out and see if it works. They've actually embraced some very kind of research-verified programming. Let me interrupt for a second. <laughs> we kind of chuckled when you said that. But there's a lot of programs that are trying to prove maybe what the founder's idea was or, you know, those types of things. Uh, one of the things that GIF does well, I believe, is that if it's not working, they punt it, and they are equally excited to uh, get something from somebody else that's working better. So I, that's worth <laughs> that's worth saying, <laughs> like, you do something that's effective. Yes. Uh, and so I think one of their, their most effective programs, it's, they call it the Early Intervention Program. And what's unique about this is they try and reach youth who have started to engage in the legal system, but not in a, in a, in a violent way yet, right? They've reached them before it reaches kind of you know, assaults and, and other types of physical uh, right. offenses. And so what's unique is that they use, um, they call it restorative practices, right, to try and help these youth... Um, see an alternative, right, to the path they're on. And so some of those things include community service, uh, restitution arrangements for things they've done, so there's accountability involved, right, mediation, uh, you know, working on the character development um, and mental health of these youth uh, to try and get some of the root causes behind this so that they can see that, you know, there is an alternative path, and it's not something that we're, again, in the legal system, you don't have that same level of support. Uh, and that's been transformative. So of the value and the benefits they create, about 60% of the benefits they created from this single program because they reach youth early enough that it's less around, let's try and fix a major problem where someone has you know, committed, a, heaven forbid, a murder or some sort of violent crime. Now that we see there's a pattern starting to emerge, let's do something about it quickly. And like most things, preventative is much more effective right. than uh, reactionary. You know, I, I keep going back to this concept of pathways, and you mentioned seeing an alternative, right? If you're in a situation where you don't see an alternative, that is, like that, I mean, that's directly correlated with lack of hope, right? And that can be pretty devastating. Um, talk about 
They they have um, this idea of an evening reporting center. What is that about? Uh, so it's an alternative way to try and work with youth at a time when, how would I put this? There's a higher probability of, of making choices that could right. lead to negative outcomes. Right. Right. And so after school, uh, early evening, right? Like if you can help youth during that time, uh, which is why you hear a lot about, you know, after school sports and activities being helpful for youth. Uh, GIF has this, but in a unique way where they're doing that, particularly with youth who, again, have had some engagement with the legal right. system and have started to show uh, a, a path that could lead to, to, you know, to worse outcomes for those youth. And so by doing something um, in that time frame, one, you get them out of the environment where they might be more likely to commit an offense that would lead to even more, um, you know, catastrophic outcomes for them, but also you provide services that help overcome that. So it's a really, for GIF, theirs is a really intensive program. It's a five day a week arrangement. It's for 20 days. And the idea here is you're going to go kind of hot and heavy on trying to help and really try and inform and help these youth understand the opportunities that they have and the opportunities they might be giving up by not pursuing, you know, a a pathway that is away from what they might've been on otherwise. I love that, and we got to land the plane. But I am super excited that uh, we're going to talk with Jeff on uh, one of our next slingshot stories. But you know, this is a particularly an issue now. I almost said in Memphis with what we're struggling with crime, with violent crime, but it's a different city. You know, every day, it's this is a struggle all around the country. And so when you when and and and, and our justice system is not functioning as well as it needs to. Um, and a big part of that, I think, when you have limited resources, is you get the low-hanging fruit first. If we can help young people before they're too far down that path, that is a super high payoff, not just economically, but in terms of human beings and lives. And that's ultimately what you and I talk about I probably every podcast all of this impact is about lives. All of this data is about lives. So I appreciate you sharing some of the work that you guys have done. And um, we're going to land the plane really fast. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, all the best. Thank you for listening. We love your feedback. So please let us know what you thought about this episode, as well as what you'd like to hear more of in the future. For more information, impact resources, or to purchase a copy of the book, Journey to Impact, visit edgillentine.com. That's ed. G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E dot com. The book is also available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. For Ed Gillentine speaking inquiries or advertising opportunities, send us an email at ajourneytoimpact at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the Journey to Impact podcast team. Executive producer, Ed Gillentine. Produced and edited by Joey Woodruff. Special thanks to Stephen Chandler. 